There are many things in this world which makes us raise an eyebrow, or perhaps question the existence of, but what if one of those things is not only well documented for centuries, but are said to be spoken about in the Bible or the Quran, involving King Solomon working with or possibly even enslaving to give him almost superpowers over his kingdom, probably one of the most misunderstood, feared, and adored, is the race of the jinn or genie. From the fabled Arabian Nights tales to the tamer version of Walt Disney's Aladdin, they seem to merge and cross over in our realm nonetheless. Join us tonight if you dare, as we talk about the race of the jinn. From a child born into this world, we are taught what to believe. Close-minded we become fearful to be deceived. Still we desire to know what lies beyond that locked door. The art of the storyteller conjuring tales of legend and lore. History hidden, lost knowledge, things forgotten, and the unknown. These are the things that direct us and will set the tone. Welcome, friends, to another episode of Nightmares on the Lost Highway. Now, the word genie will forever in my heart, be immortalized by none other than Disney's creation of Aladdin. Well, I mean, Disney steals every idea. They didn't create Aladdin. (laughs) Very well. You know, the little blue character that we've all known, come to know and love and voiced by the immortal Robin Williams. And secondly, at least for some, I believe it beckons back to a book, Arabian Nights, also known as A Thousand and One Nights, which was a collage of uh, Arabian stories. Truthfully, however, in this research, I found out, you know, the Arabian Nights, first off, is a book from the early 18th century. Uh, It's best documented account, I think, that we have at least discovered so far on the jinn, and that's where we draw a lot of our early history. But did you know the genies or the jinn actually date back prior to the time of Christ, uh, all the way back to the 3rd century B.C.? They were very well known in Arabic mythology in general, and the belief in jinn was incredibly common in pre-Islamic Arabia. So yeah, I mean, this goes way, 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 way back. Mm-hmm. Now, spellings is are, are as different as the varied <laughs> stories. Uh, you can have genie, you know, G-E-N-I-E, the jinn, J-I-N-N, or the slightly different version with a D in the front, D-J-I-N-N, and then it goes on to even... More kind of strange or spellings would be G-N-Y, J-N-Y, or even a G-I-N-N-A-Y-A. So wrap your minds around that. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of different ways to recognize that word. And for most Western people, I would say we, we look at genie and we think of the three wishes and rubbing you know, the, the lamp, Aladdin's lamp uh, and all that. Yeah. But really when you, when you start looking at Jen it encompasses a wide, wide variety of different invisible beings that are said to inhabit the world along with humanity. Not considered innately good or evil, they have the ability to pick um, their path. Much, you know, much like a human. In, in Christian faith, you look at demons and devils and they're bad. Those are bad things. Um, but jinn actually have the ability to practice religion. Mm-hmm. They they have the ability they they have families they live in tribal structures much as we do they eat they sleep they, yeah they, they die. Eat, sleep they can be killed they are acknowledged as being more powerful than humans in general stronger faster I believe the original wording is um uh, they are beings of smokeless flame by nature 
but they can have thin and subtle bodies. That would be a description of one type of djinn, as I discovered in my research, which I I sort of knew, but I wasn't, you know, really, I didn't understand. There are multiple classifications of djinn. Yeah, I, th- I will say, in all honesty, I thought I understood the djinn until I really started diving into this. And, and like a lot of our stories, it's like an onion with many different layers. Yeah, the, the djinn can change their shape at will, typically. They favor the forms of snakes. They can appear as scorpions, lizards, or humans, and have been known to have sexual relationships with humans, even. Mm-hmm. And and some of this, you know, some powers vary by classification of djinn, and I, I think we'll get to that later on. They they have been known to have the ability to take control of a person's body. Now, typically... Like possession, yes. Yeah, typically, that person has to be... Uh, on board with that they can't just force themselves in this person must be sort of predisposed to the idea of it however i I think there are situations where they can force it and if they get hurt they will seek out revenge and and that includes maybe possessing the one who wronged them and like demons and devils the exorcism right can expel them from the body so they have a fear of iron which i found interesting i like the face that as well yes and apparently wolves so. Well, and I found in one uh, story that uh, in the shape-shifting aspect, that was another source that they did change into. So that's kind of a contradictory. They're afraid of a wolf, but yet in another story version, they might take the form of a wolf. I, I guess what I'm trying to say is tonight, bear with us because we're going to try to decipher literally thousands of years of myth and legends Tracing the history of the djinn is a gigantic task that offers very little in the way of definitive answers, and it's difficult to really locate a reliable or constant source, partially because we're, you know, literally digging through thousands of years of stories, and a lot of those were passed on orally for many, many years before they were ever published. Now, early origins, I have, uh, you know, the djinn was supposedly created by God or gods, out of fire and scorching wind, as you said, of smokeless flame, giving them a certain wispy, changeable forms. This is in contrast, obviously, to humans who were sculpted uh, supposedly by mud and clay, making us firm and solid and obviously not so changeable or mysterious. The race of the jinn is filled with different categories or classes of spirits. Uh, the three main ones, and I believe as Bill and I were pre-talking before the the uh, podcast, there's, there's several layers, but the three major would include the Shatan, uh, which is the proposed inspiration for Satan himself, uh, very rebellious. Uh, and then we have the Ifrit, or Ifrit, uh, partially or, or particularly strong and a cunning type of jinn. And then the most extreme, powerful, and dangerous is the Marid. In ancient stories, the Marid jinns are usually the ones that we found imprisoned in bottles or rings or, or vessels to be con- uh, to controlled for all their power. Now, one thing I have always heard, and I have to pull back, I have even used this in conversation with people, is jinn in the Bible. And I mentioned this kind of touched upon it in the opening. I, I think we need to try to clear up some of that misconception. Uh, first off, the word jinn or genie, those words in the Christian faith in the Bible uh, is not mentioned. However, some will refute to say it's referenced by the translation and interpretation of the word demon, devil, or spirit, which the word jinn actually does mean. Now, bear with me on this. Some of these are a bit earth-shattering, but there's some scholarly reasons of, of why we think the word or spelling of jinn is not in the Bible. One belief is the Bible and the Quran were both 
you know, copied and only select stories, scriptures, and books were chosen to be shared by the influence of man or king, as the case may be. While this theory may be new for some, it has become, I think, pretty evident, especially in past centuries, with the discovery of several additional books, uh, many written by women, which were not selected for whatever reason to be included. Uh, If you would consider just for a moment that the Bible was indeed compiled with man's intervention, therefore maybe the word jinn was omitted by man, as well as other details, and it was quick to point out, you know, why are there dinosaurs not mentioned in the Bible? Or what about the details of the races that Cain, a son of Adam and Eve, you know, that he married and mated with? You know, where were, where were those details? Now, secondly, maybe God himself just decided not to include the race of the jinn, as yet another representation of the word demon or devil was, was enough to suffice. And third, and I loved this one. Maybe the jinn themselves, with all their mighty power, just decided to remain unmentioned. Uh, after all, part of the meaning of the name is to be hidden. Uh, so, who really knows? This, this debate has went on for years and probably will continue. We definitely, you know, we don't want to lure anyone astray from their face, their own beliefs regarding religion. Just trying to explain some of the proposed reasons and excuses, but... I was one of those that had heard for many years that, you know, the jinn are in the Bible. And it's actually, they're in the Quran uh, that talks about King Solomon. Yeah, it's, it's sort of interesting. I talked about the jinn having the ability to make choices and they're not being innately good and evil. And like you said, they, they practice religion, you know, speaking of religion. Mm-hmm. Um, and they practice, you know, it includes Islam, Christianity, Judaism. You know, and, and they're usually, like, I think in the Eastern world, like they typically have their own thoughts on on which jinn or which like Muslim jinn are usually thought to be benign and sort of you know not they don't involve themselves in the affairs of men. Uh, Christian and Jewish jinn are usually indifferent unless you anger them, you know, and then they're gonna they're gonna go after you. And then the pagan jinn are considered to be evil and untrustworthy. The naughtiest. Now we mentioned the Quran. I think we need to take that a step further. The, the original genie or jinn was, of course, uh, referenced as being different color of skin, uh, stemming from the hazy past of ancient Arabian paganism. Muslim tradition uh, enriched the jinn's profile by adding to it features derived from demons who inhabited Jewish and Christian lore, as well as more exotic South Asian African civilizations in which Islam had penetrated and started to cross over. The Quran, obviously Islam's sacred scripture, mentions the jinn actually on several occasions. For example, the Quran relates that King Solomon, or Solomon, uh, master of the languages of all creatures, and allowed him to be the regiment of hosts of humans and birds and jinns, actually as stated, under his command, through the mystical and magical power of a ring that he is said to have obtained from the archangel Michael. This enabled him influence over what some now state to be the race of the jinn. This echoes of legends and how the wise monarch exercised dominion over the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, and associated demons and supernatural spirits. The Quran also records stories of how Solomon harnessed the power of demons, or jinns in this instance, for his ambitious and demanding construction projects. And we've all heard of King Solomon's temple, King Solomon's mines. Uh, they made for him what he pleased, of fortress and images, it states. Also, bowls as large as water troughs and cooking pots that could not be moved from their place. 
I think it's this mixture of different faiths and religions, familiar stories, but with word meanings evolving and translated that I think we get some of that confusion today where it said, you know, the jinn's in the Bible. Well, it's not in the Christian Bible, but it definitely is in the Quran. I feel that a, a lot of ancient scripture is, is sort of man trying to understand the world around him without the, the knowledge that we have today. So I don't think a lot of it isn't meant to be taken literal. That's just my you know interpretation. Right. So, yeah, when you have a thing that we don't understand, we ascribe, you know, the understanding that we have. So who's to say, you know, like, right, again, right. the devils and demons that we talk about, maybe that is just our version, our translation of that particular word. And, and yeah, to that point, maybe it's words that it's the best words that could be chosen to reflect that at our current level of understanding, if that makes sense. Let's talk a little bit about the powers of the jinn, and I'm going to uh, definitely reference a John Barnellis. Uh, it's a blog uh, that he titled The Origin of the Jinn and the Lamp. I found a, a lot of good reference material here, so I definitely wanted to reference him. Uh, he states the details of what powers jinns have vary greatly between the sources. They've been said to transform into wolves, birds, reptiles. Uh, it's said they can dive to the bottoms of the sea in the ocean where they can locate pearls as large as eggs. They can vanish, teleport, and both weave magic carpets as well as command them to fly. One particular tale insists a genie created a magic carpet 27 miles in length. Would that be the first example of flying commercial plane service? I'm not, I'm not sure. Seems like a lot. Uh, eat your heart out, Delta and Southwest. One constant in the legend is that genies are tricksters, and they delight in playing pranks on both harmless and harmful alike. They seem to be kind of neutral to that aspect. They can also change their appearance at will, owing their creation out of fire or wind. They do seem to follow some patterns in their choice of physical manifestations. However, favoring perfect copies or maybe slight twisted likenesses of humans various types of animals and hybrids of humans and animals, which kind of goes back to, we'll go back to the Dungeons and Dragons and mythology, some of the creatures, you know, perhaps like a centaur, half man, you know, half horse, um, a satyr, you know, uh, half goat, half man. And I think obviously this might be the first record of doppelgangers because it talks about them where they would uh, mimic a, a human slightly twisted version and that's where we kind of get into some of the possession and, and different things like that now there's also i felt this was an interesting story uh, a 12th century story about the queen of sheba now she was said to have a human father and a jinn mother the story insisted jinn always have thick fur on their legs and hooves like that of a donkey no matter which form they take i had never heard anything like this well, i think this does vary by the classification of Jin too, the the powers and, and their appearance. So, and that's something that I have here that we'll talk about later. Okay. Well, this was actually used in the identification of genies, uh, even while they were trying to disguise themselves, as it was the unmasking of the Queen of Sheba as half Jin. If you saw someone who always hid their legs or had a suspicious amount of hair on their legs, you could be pretty sure they were a Jin. Now. I know a couple guys that have really hairy legs. I, 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 don't, I wouldn't call them gins, but anyhow. You know, is it just me, or does that kind of sound like another mythological creature like we were talking about, a satyr? 
you know, but again, I hadn't personally ever come across this in my own research and what I had known. The gin came in every shape and size, some with hooves, some with long tails, it states, with flapping ears, some with bodiless heads, uh, headless bodies. Just imagine a, pr- a procession of disembodied heads and hairy-legged hooves creatures shambling by. It doesn't exactly want to make you go out and ask them to grant you any wishes, that's for sure. I was touching on the different classifications of gin, and I found a sort of a list in a couple of places. And, and different lists different, reference different types so these were the ones that were the most common and sort of these were the the uh, agreed upon descriptions. So you had first the hen. They were the closest to animals and typically appeared in the form of dogs. Then you have the ghoul, which, you you know, that's a name you've heard, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. But these were shape-shifting, cannibalistic, blood-drinking gin. They preferred to feed upon the blood and flesh of humans, uh, especially travelers or children, as well as corpses stolen from their graves. Uh, now, they would appear in various forms uh, to lead people astray in the desert. And here, in, in Persian lore, they had the legs of a donkey and the horns of a goat. So so that's the Persian aspect. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Jan was a shape-shifting jinn that lived in the desert. Uh, they could appear as a whirlwind or a white camel. Uh, they considered themselves enemies of the ghoul. They were open-minded about humans and were the first to be encountered by humans when, when we started meeting with jinn and, and encountering them. Uh, and we're said to have the power to hide or reveal oases in the desert. So obviously that's, that's a useful power. Well, that goes back to a lot of the tales of the desert and, and, you know, the mirage of being able to find water and. You have the, the Marid, which you had talked about. They're very huge and powerful, referred to as giants in a lot of stories, uh, and described as the most powerful jinn with the greatest of powers. They had free will, of course, but they could be compelled to perform chores which I assume is where the genie of the lamp and, and the three wishes comes from. You have the Ifrit, which you talked about, which uh, was a type of infernal jinn that is powerful and cunning, ruthless and wicked. It was known as a, an enormous winged creature of fire. They typically lived in underground societies structured along ancient Arabian tribal lines. Uh, they would generally marry other jinn, but would on occasion marry humans. And humans could use magic to enslave or kill them. And then you got some weaker varieties. You have the Sheik. Uh, S-H-I-Q-Q, however you would pronounce that, which was a weaker gin that looked co- sort of like a half-formed monster, and the name literally meant split in Arabic. And the artist's depictions of these things was like just, I mean, literally like half a person. Half a person, so like, like literally one leg, cut down the one middle? Head, one head, one leg, one arm, half a head, you know, one eye. It was, was this really like a weird. blob or like a, no, they a standing stand person? Up right. Yeah. Stand up just, on one leg yeah. kind of thing? Wow. Then you had the Naznaz, which was another weak form of jinn, and were usually the offspring of the Shik and humans. And they were sort of a hybrid of animal-like and human-like forms. Again, really weird-looking art for these in, <laughs> in history. You have the Palis, or yeah, P-A-L-I-S. Uh, these ones creeped me out when I read about them. They, they live in the desert, and they are known as a foot licker. Foot licker. They attack people and drain their blood from the body by licking the soles of their feet. A vampire with a foot fetish. It was, yeah, weird. <laughs> um, they're considered to have low intellect and e- be easily fooled. You have the Silat, which is the smartest of the shape-shifting spirits, and they can mimic humans almost perfectly. And then you have, I'm going to use a slightly different pronunciation, Shaitan or Shaitan. This is, in Islam, the devil is known as Ibl- Iblis or Shaitan. And this is in the Quran. 
and he has the power to put evil suggestions into the minds of human beings. So um, Revered is one of the most powerful. So there again, there's a wide variety, which I didn't really know that when I started looking at this. I'd heard, I mean, if you play Final Fantasy games, you've heard of Marid and Ifrit and things mm-hmm. like that. But I didn't realize that those were all part of the same a, family. A, the race, of, if you will, a yeah, djinn or whatever. The same types of creatures. Now, according to legends, the race of the djinn eventually angered God, uh, which led to their destruction. Only a small group of the most faithful were left intact. The remaining djinn scattered across the world, only appearing to humans when they wanted to cause mischief or harm. Their cities crumbled, their culture vanished, but the djinn themselves are still said to be around. They're just not as common or as numerous as they once were. And, of course, some would speculate that they have, as you had stated, crossed bred with humans and might be living right alongside of us or the whole doppelganger aspect. Now, we touched a little bit upon, but where do djinn live? It's believed that djinn inhabit mostly desolate deserts, uh, caves, graveyards, and darkness itself, as, as it was stated. Well, I know I, I read that they, they tried to shun the places of humanity. Yeah. And you mentioned like the ghouls and stuff. Obviously, you know, we've got a lot of folklore where ghouls are associated with graveyards and, and, and such. And then, of course, you know, even with the movie Aladdin and Arabian Nights, it usually takes place out in the middle of some desolate desert or some former ruins of a mankind civilization. It's commonly believed contrary to some accounts that Jinn are not gods at all, but they fall, as you had said, maybe under a god or gods or deities themselves. Again, more similar to human beings than uh, what I originally thought. I did think it was interesting in the oldest forms of research, there's only basically the two elements that are represented. Uh, the afrit or afrit, as we call it, more of like a fire demon type. And then, of course, the air elementals. Now, later on, I I think it started coming into like video games and and movies and books. It's like they tried to kind of force feed earth and water uh, elementals into the gin. Well, I know the Marid in, 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 if you look in, I think, D&D and Final Fantasy games and stuff like that is typically associated with water. Mm -hmm. So I don't know which one ends up being the earth elemental. But like you said, I know the Ifrit is associated with fire. Right. And then, yeah, so yeah, I mean, they do try to kind of shoehorn it into... It's almost like we've got to have all four, and we've got to have the four main main elements. As we had talked about, Jen are not immortal. Again, similar to humans. They, you know, we might live to be 100 years old. Jen, you know, might be 1,000 years old for a life expectancy. But they, they still grow old. They get ill. Uh, they have afflictions. They can be wounded, the same as, as you or I. And because the jinn can exist right along the side of humans, many religions, including Muslim, have a type of mutual respect for the jinn. Especially in the Muslim faith, uh, it's not all that uncommon to have teachings to not accidentally harm an innocent jinn, to be, you know, cautious and to be uh, weary of your surroundings, and especially when you go into those uh, desolate areas, those dark areas where the jinn may stay. Did find reference to, uh, and I don't know if you come across any of this or not, the seven jinn kings uh, in Arabic lore. Magicians read in their books about these kings, whose names vary a lot, let me say, depending upon the source. According to one version, they were as follows, and I apologize, I will most likely butcher every one of these, but the first would be Mudhib, 
The second is Mira. The third is Alhama, the red. The fourth is Bakan, the gleaming. The fifth is Semhush. The sixth, Al-Abad, the white. And the seventh is Mimun, the lucky. Each of these seven jinn kings uh, had tribes of their own of lesser jinn that were subjects to uh, their rule. Some of the names are still unclear in their meaning. For the example, Samhush is believed to by many to have uh, been a companion to a prophet, and some believe died long ago, like early in the 18th century, and has now been replaced by another by the name of Mut Akal, the father of bitterness, because it was like this jinn sought revenge for the one that killed the jinn king before them. So you can easily get wrapped around and lost in the lore with, with the kings and the, and the different names there. Now, we can't talk about the genies without alluding more about the lamp and wishes. I mean, that's kind of the new modern trend in the last century, at least, uh, that the modern century that we all kind of know and love. Most people in the West today associate genies with lamps and wishes and certain quirky magical powers. This is all largely thanks to a few pieces of popular media, including I Dream of Genie, the TV series, and of course Disney's version of Aladdin that we've already mentioned. Both which obviously had strong ties to a magical lamp that you rubbed. Now, genies are actually supernatural creatures with an incredible past, as we said, that stretches back 5,000 years. They're described as malevolent tricksters, peaceful spirits, if you will, and everything in between. Many people today still believe they are real. Uh, they don't expect them to grant any wishes, at least not willingly, but not without some ironic consequences. For it seems the lesson to be learned is to wish from a genie most certainly can have dire consequences, that trickster aspect. Tracing the history of the jinn is, as I said, a gigantic task uh, with all the, the lore and the cultures and the, and the vocabulary and the oral translations that's given. But if we take a brief look, the word jinn cognates that we find some pretty tantalizing clues about genies, especially their constant relation to lamps and wishes here in the West. In the first century AD, the Roman Empire reached the borders of what is now modern day Syria. Here, the people of a city of Palmyra had their own interpretation of the jinn and these legends that was a little different from the history that uh, we have here. The Palmyra jinn, spelt G-N-Y or J-N-Y, was a spirit of sorts that watched over people, watched over their homes and their families, almost like that of a guardian angel. No curses or wishes or mischief uh, at all, just looking out for the overall well-being of mankind. Its interpretation of that jinn was reinforced in ancient Roman culture and would eventually make its way to the modern-day West. Now, in the story of the Arabian Nights had been floated around in ancient world for hundreds or thousands of years before Europe got wind of this. When the publisher Antoine Galland brought the tales to France and saw how popular they were, now here he actually added a few new stories to this collection. These were reportedly relayed to him orally by a, a Syrian storyteller, and I'll butcher this name again, but Anton Yasaf Hana Darib, who is likely the original author or one of the original authors. What were these add-on tales? Well, of course, they were probably the most well-known to us today. Alibaba and the Forty Thieves and Aladdin's Wonderful Lamp. These are tales most Westerners immediately associate when you hear Arabian Nights. 
yet they were written and added to the collection in a more modern era. Now, that doesn't mean they aren't fantastic tales. Of course, just that they aren't exactly ancient, depending on if you believe they were truly relayed by one of the earlier authors to Galland upon his time of publishing in the other continents. Now, the first reference to a vessel... All that being said, the references of the original manuscripts that would make up the book Arabian Nights involving lamps and even rings. In the story City of Brass, a group took out across the Sahara Desert in order to find the imprisoned King Solomon, who had a magical ring that bound the various genies to him for control. This appears to be the very first vessel or containment for the djinn that at least I found written. Yeah, I found reference to binding the jinn to items and talismans and whatnot i even found an anecdote where but there was a young girl who i I mean i don't know i don't want to use the word bullied maybe that wasn't the proper terminology but she was being harassed by another person in her class and she reached up and she snatched a necklace from her neck and broke it Mm -hmm. and immediately like ill luck beset the person who broke the necklace and then upon you know talking to a family and all that they found out that it was supposed to be the vessel of a powerful jid who was supposed to protect the family i guess and so it was protecting him breaking that necklace they had unleashed this jid unintentionally well funny you should mention that i'm an ebayer i love to go to ebay i buy sell stuff all the time just for fun go to ebay and type jin ring <laughs> oh my gosh you will find all kinds of alleged uh rings that are Rings that are possessed by genies or gins. Uh, I thought that was very interesting. And some of these things are selling for like three, four, five hundred dollars or more. It's just, I'm sorry, but kind of absurd, I, I, I think. I know you're not a big podcast listener, but one of the ones I listen to is My Brother, My Brother and Me. And they have a um, haunted doll watch that they do where they, they find these haunted dolls and they'll sort of read the listing and kind of make fun of it. So maybe that that could be our thing. We can do, you know, gin ring, you know, alerts <laughs> or something like that. Hey, y'all, there's a new one that's posted. Now, taking the discussion just a step further, the first reference to three wishes. In another story from Arabian Nights, a fisherman actually discovers this brass vessel uh, described as what we will call a lamp. And he opens it. A gigantic evil gin by the name of Asmodeus immediately pops out. After being trapped for 400 years, Asmodeus wasn't in the greatest of moods. So he reveals he has a long, you know, thought about how to reward or punish the one that freed him from this prison. One of his ideas, it says in the story, was to grant the person three wishes. Instead, however, in the story, he lets the fisherman choose how he will be killed. Well, that's nice. Slightly different twist there. This seems to be the earliest uh, specific reference I could at least find to three wishes being granted from a freed genie now is that you know is any good dm when you get the wish spell you find the the best way to corrupt it the Wishmaster movie where each wish is oh, yes. corrupted. wish masters is that i mean maybe that's the earliest form of that like i'm gonna give you a wish you you can only wish for your own death but yeah yeah there's your wish my my players in, in dungeons and dragons occasionally i've i've had genie lamps pop up and, and of course the, what's the number one wish I don't know if you've ever done this. but you wish for more wishes. Wish for more wishes, yes. (laughs) And it's like, okay, this is broken. This can't be, you know. Well, you can, if you put yourself in a a prison genie uh, state of mind that's been there for 400 years and this sap 
fishes you up out of the ocean or whatever and rubs your lamp and sets you free and then they they say i'll give you three wishes buddy thanks for rescuing me yeah i want another thousand wishes buddy so he fishes you up out of the ocean and rubs your lamp that sounds like a euphemism (laughs) (laughs) pg pg (laughs) now reference to a ring or a lamp back to aladdin in the original tale aladdin is recruited by a sorcerer sorcerer to retrieve an oil lamp from a magic cave filled with traps the sorcerer gives aladdin a ring that's supposed to protect him in this cave far into his journey aladdin starts to fret and he rubs his hands together and a genie pops out of the ring and whisks aladdin back home oil lamp in tow now aladdin's mother sees the lamp is dirty and of course what she decided to do rub it to clean it and another more powerful genie pops out and appears this one bound to do the bidding of whoever holds the lamp aladdin becomes a rich and powerful the sorcerer comes back to stir up trouble people die other people live happily ever after so on and so forth it's a little different than the walt disney version but that is the original well, story of aladdin the disneyfied version so. disneyfied i like that word now obviously disney took a few liberties with the story and and so just like the past uh, it stands to reason these liberties can alter the whole conception of the origin. You know, you see how that works. Just in our time frame, if you mention it like to my kids or my grandkids, they're going to go back to the Aladdin Walt Disney version. Well, to be honest, if you say the word gin, most people aren't going to associate that with anything. Yeah. I mean, it's a drink. <laughs> right, right. I'll have a gin and tonic. And. Honestly, even I Dream of Genie and stuff were kind of getting out of the age. I know I Dream of Genie, but that was even an early show for me with my yeah. age. Yeah, I was going to say I Dream of Genie was in reruns. Yeah, totally was reruns, kid. black and white, you know. I did watch it, though. I did, I, too. I really, Genie was hot. Yeah, she was hot. And nice little outfit. Regardless of, of what you wish to believe, uh, or if you want to believe, you know, the djinn have been part of our ancestral stories for thousands of years, and it doesn't look like they're going away anytime soon. So... I didn't feel like we'd be doing justice to what we do here if we didn't try to find some actual encounters with the djinn that were documented. Oh, love it. Now, you and I talked previous to sitting down, and I will say most of these documented encounters with djinn, the first thing I found was in relation to mental health, that it was seen as a mental health thing if you thought you were plagued by djinn or taunted by djinn. And so there were actual, there are actual volumes of, of psychiatric lore dedicated to the treatment of people who believe they're being, you know, plagued well, by jinn. And I mean, that makes sense that maybe their defenses are a little lower. So the jinn feel like, you know, they're, they're better victims or maybe their minds are just a little more open to it. Another huge part of it, honestly, they seem like ghost stories to me. And so. You know, I'm trying to say, like, do you look at those as if the ghost stories are stories of Jin, or do you look at them from the Western viewpoint of like, oh, that was a ghost story? Goes back to the whole translation. Yeah, maybe we've been calling it a ghost, but maybe it was actually a Jin. So here I picked out just three anecdotes that I kind of like that that weren't your typical ghost story type, and I didn't feel were you know documents of mental illness. Uh, None of these are my stories, and and they were all sort of related as anecdotes online, so I don't have a lot of detail on some of them. Uh, The first story was related to the the storyteller that they had a great uncle who had gone to visit family that lived in India. And since it was summertime, it was hot outside, you know, in in, at night, I think it gets a little cooler. So the idea was they would all sleep in the courtyard out under the stars. You know, he'd never been there before. He he thought that would be a nice experience. Right. So his cousins told him, okay, we can do that. And then sort of indicated one particular corner of the courtyard and said, but don't sleep there. There's a djinn that sleeps there. 
and you can't disturb that corner. Uh, anytime that corner was disrupted at night, apparently strange events plague the household for a day that or two. That definitely sounds ghost-like. Yeah, yeah. very ghost-like. So, of course, he does what any good, I'm going to say, American would do, because I, I think he was Indian American. But he decides he's going to sleep in that corner anyway. <laughs> Screw you, Jen. This is my yeah. corner. So, one night, he wakes up in the opposite corner of the courtyard. <laughs> you know, he doesn't Excuse know what's going on. Excuse me. He just assumes that it's his cousin's mess- messing with him. So, the following night, the same thing happens. He wakes up on the opposite side of the courtyard. <laughs> so, the next day, he, he writes a note, puts it on his pillow. Uh, telling his cousins to stop pranking him. He just wants to sleep. <laughs> that night, he's pushed off the bed, and all of his bedding is thrown across the courtyard. He witnesses I, this. I've about had enough of this. And a note is thrown into his lap stating simply, I sleep here. <laughs> no one else is awake. Yeah, that definitely so, sounds ghostly slash demonic almost. Yeah. Uh, there's another story from the sedan where the, the storyteller was, uh, they lived there when they were young, and uh, they lived on a family farm. And they relate this as like the most peaceful, perfect time of their life, which I think we all like to believe that our childhood is the best part. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so one day they're coming home, and this the the storyteller sees a fire in the house. Well, they they get concerned. Oh. As they get closer, they see that the fire is shaped like a human being, and it it kind of walks around the house for a few steps here and there. Nothing in the home catches fire. That's odd. And then it is it just suddenly disappears. So did they see in a freak? You know, the, who who knows? Well, now funny that you mentioned that because, and again, I I, I shamelessly plug D and D, but I mean, <laughs> an afrit in the game Dungeons and Dragons. I mean, even coming in proximity will melt flesh and even metal. So that that's a weird one. And uh, finally, this last one is very ghost story like, but I I kind of liked it. Uh, this was related by the storyteller's grandfather. He uh. Apparently would walk to other towns and villages to visit family and need stayed really late into the night visiting relatives in another town. And, and they were like, no, no, you know, it's so late. You need to stay with us. And he's like, well, no, I'd, I'd really like to get home to sleep in my own bed. I know it's late, but I'm not too worried about it. So he starts walking home and he crosses through some fields and some woodlands while he's traveling. And, and after a while, he just feels like he's going in circles. He just keeps seeing the same thing over and over. He just he feels like he's somehow gotten lost in the darkness. Uh, and he comes across what appears to be a middle aged woman. And she claims to be a local, but he's never seen her before. And, and mind you, he's in a different village, so maybe Impossible. maybe he doesn't know everybody. But he definitely never met her before. And he said, well, can you help me out? I feel like I've gotten lost somewhere here in the night. And she's like, oh, yes, no, 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 I can help you. Just follow me. And so he starts following her down the path. Well, he's a smoker, and you don't often hear of smoking saving lives, but in this particular <laughs> case. So he lights up a cigarette. And when he strikes the match to light up the cigarette, the surroundings change. Like, everything around him suddenly just looks different. And this woman just disappears. And he is definitely somewhere he's never been before. So he starts screaming for help. You know, he's like, none of this is familiar. He doesn't know where he's at. Some locals find him. Uh, They bring him out, you know, of wherever this wilderness that he was in. They bring him to safety. And they're like, you understand you almost died, right? And he's like, well, what do you mean? He goes, well, we have a djinn locally that uh, will take. Strat, you know, people who get lost and lead them down a path. He said, if, if you continue down that path, it actually ends in a cliff. Oh, wow. And you're not going to see that cliff until it's too late. Ooh. So apparently she was leading people off cliffs. Now, and that sounds very much like a Western ghost story. Yes, yes. 
So it's one of those things, like a lot of them have that sort of ghost story sound to them when you listen to them from our westernized viewpoint. So Definitely. So maybe, when we, maybe when we do paranormal investigations, maybe we need to throw in the, the gin name occasionally. Or yeah, wish kind of a, maybe on it. I'm not <laughs> sure. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to fiddle around with wishes. Now, we did talk about this. You you talked about Solomon, and I think you referenced Suleiman. Mm-hmm. Now, I talked about having that book of ritual magic that I had yes. in, in an earlier podcast, but it had the keys of Solomon and stuff like that. There were spells for the binding and uh, manipulation of jinn, but... You know, it's, I never attempted any of those. It seemed like something that even. A little bit. uh, That might have been too much, but okay. Close to the edge. But even if I didn't, you know, even if I thought they were going to work, is that really the ones I want to. Oh, right, right, right. I want to call and summon forth these. Is a wish really worth it? Yeah. I don't want to, I don't want some of these elemental spirits that could destroy me. (laughs) Well, we hope you've enjoyed this adventure of Arabian Nights and Genies in particular. Another tale you'll find on Nightmares on the Lost Highway. We leave the tarnished old lamp in your hands. Wish wisely and carefully, my friends. Thanks for listening. So Eric picked this ridiculous idea for a podcast. <laughs> and Bill has cursed me for it. <laughs> he says he has one sentence. I sent a gin after you. <laughs> I shouldn't joke about that. We'd like to give a shout out to our first uh, paying sponsor, Raven's Loft. That's our family shop here located in uh, Lebanon, Missouri. It's your one-stop gaming, vintage toy, and collectible shop where you can find Star Wars, Transformers, G.I. Joe, comics, vinyl records, role-play gaming, Magic the Gathering, and so much more. We're located here at 223 West Commercial, downtown Lebanon, and also in our second location, uh, also here in Lebanon, at the Heartland Antique Mall. We'd like to thank Ravensloft for again supporting Nightmares on the Lost Highway. I want to take a time to thank the people that helped bring this all together. Uh, Alex Tudor, you can almost call him our producer at this point. Sarah Tudor, who also helps with some of the technical stuff. I want to take a moment to extend thanks to Eric for letting us use his space to record in kind of our makeshift studio. I, in turn, would like to thank Bill for, one, putting up with me and uh, using this camaraderie to do something we both very much love and enjoy doing, and thank Bill's family for allowing him to spend all the time to work and clean up our recordings and present them in what uh, you hear in the final uh, terms, uh, the final edition, if you will. Um, And I'd like to thank all of you for continuing to, to listen. I know we've got some loyal followers out there. We do this as a labor of love, but we're, we're happy that there are people that enjoy it as, hopefully as much as we do. Thank you very much.